Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everybody listening and watching whenever and wherever this podcast finds you. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Bitcoin Weekly Wrap-Up for the 30th of January, 2020. This week's roundup is sponsored by eToro. This will actually be the last wrap-up sponsored by eToro. So if any of you out there have any companies or know of anybody that might be interested in sponsoring a podcast, please let me know. eToro is a really, really cool platform. I've been very happy to have had them as my sponsor as they offer some very interesting and innovative products for traders. If you want to start trading and honestly, like I've said before in many podcasts, I am not just because it was something I was not you know, necessarily passionate about. I tried it for a while and I had some success in 2017 as many people did, but I realized quite quickly as 2018 rounded that I was more just riding a wave than actually uh, being that successful at it. And to actually do that, you really need to study it just like anything else that you want to be successful at. So if you want to do that, what eToro can offer you that no other uh, exchange is going to be able to offer you is the ability to test out your strategies with their virtual wallet. And basically they give you like 100,000 notional dollars and that way you can test out different strategies and see what is working and what is not using real order books but using fake money. That way if your strategies are panning out after a while and you have some good data on it, you can continue to do that. If it's not, you haven't lost any of your real money. It's not real money on the line. So it's a great way for you to start to kind of dip your toes into the water. If you are also really new or even advanced, they offer copy trading, which allows you, if you're new, to go through their 11 million people on their social media platform, find out who knows what they're doing, watch their you know strategies, their charts, what they're saying, see if it, these things are actually working and they actually know what they're talking about. Because... You know, once you find, you know, one or two or 50 or 100 of these people that are good at it, you can actually allocate a certain percentage of your profile to them. So let's say you find five traders add 10% of your profile each for about half of your portfolio is allocated to them. If they buy one Bitcoin, your portfolio, 10% of it buys Bitcoin at whatever price that they are. Whenever they sell it, it does the same. And if you're an advanced trader, what this does for you is it allows you to expand your own portfolio because you're getting a piece of all the profit that you are gaining for them. So it is a very, very cool thing for you as an advanced trader to be able to basically leverage your experience, leverage your ability to gain new followers on this platform that has existed for over 10 years since, you know, predates Bitcoin. And they are not going to be disappearing tomorrow. So if you want to go to diginocrypto.com slash eToro, that's E-T-O-R-O, that'll put you through and reroute you to my affiliate link. And what that does is it lets them know that you came from me. So maybe at some point in the future, they will you know, decide to re-sponsor the podcast. This has been a great six months. But also, uh, it gets you 50 bucks. If you use that, if, if you go through diginocrypto.com slash eToro, once you do a minimum deposit, I think it's around uh, 200 bucks, uh, you will get $50 in your wallet to be able to buy, sell, trade Bitcoin and other crypto assets. So head over to diginocrypto.com slash E-T-O-R-O. So welcome again to the beautiful By the Bay Studios, joined as always by my 1995 Batman Forever McDonald's Riddler Cup, 
Today it's uh, filled with emergency because I have three children and a wife who are all sick. Uh, bronchitis, fevers, cold. No coronavirus though, so cheers to that. Today we're going to be covering a bunch of different stories, but first let's look at the price. And looks like I was a little bit uh, um, behind here. I forgot to pull up the recent price. So this week we saw Bitcoin's price jump again, heading over 9,000, um, up into the 9,600s. And it is currently sitting, as we record on the 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, it is sitting at... 9464 right now so that's as of 30 january 2020 and the first story that we're going to be talking about is a uk court order they there was a uh, uk court uh, did a or basically ordered bitfinex to freeze about eight hundred sixty thousand dollars or us dollars worth of bitcoin uh, that were linked to a ransomware payment paid out by an insurer on behalf of their client and just quickly, if you don't know what ransomware is, this is basically a hacker gains access to a network, whether it's a business or an individual, and gains access to sensitive files. More often than not, what they do is they will encrypt either, you know, for a personal, uh, for an individual, a lot of times they'll just encrypt your whole computer or they'll find sensitive files for a business. And then once they um, encrypt that, they will send a message saying basically pay uh, X amount of Bitcoin to this address and then we will send you the key, the password that unlocks, decrypts that file. Um, the company, which was unnamed in the uh, court proceedings, had insurance for this very thing, as many large companies do. I believe it was about 96 Bitcoin that they paid out at the, um, I don't know what it was at the time of payment, um, but uh, about $860,000 worth of it ended up on Bitfinex. And, you know, it, they ended up freezing it. And not all the details are clear, such as, you know, how quickly did Bitfinex end up freezing this? Is there a blacklist of monitored coins that they will freeze automatically? Uh, likely this is you know, likely uh, what is going on is that um, a chain analysis company that tracks these ransomware payments alerts exchanges or has live lists. They provide exchanges to do this automatically because it's highly unlikely if you dump, I've never dumped 96 Bitcoin or 80 or whatever it was into Bitfinex before. Uh, but for the most part, after a certain set of confirmations, uh, maybe at a larger amount like this, they they do like a 48-hour freeze or something. But for the most part, whenever I've deposited anything, and I haven't used Bitfinex in many, many years, but most exchanges, there's a certain amount of confirmations to make sure that the money or that the money, the Bitcoin has arrived, that you're not trying to do a double spend on them. And then they will allow you to actually access it on their exchange. And then sometimes they have a certain amount of time before you can withdraw it. Um the hacker was likely trying to send the Bitcoin, uh, send the money to this Bitcoin exchange, either to exchange it for, say, something like Monero or Bitcoin Cash or Ripple or who knows whatever. Um, or they were just, like I said, they were going to deposit it in there. Once they got access to it, just withdraw it right away because uh, they're not going to have the same UTXOs coming out as they did going in because they are going to be going into the hot wallet and you, th these exchanges aren't giving you back the same UTXO sets um, that, that you put in. And 
this shows us that currently exchanges, you know, not mixers are the preferred way for these folks um, to wash the so-called dirty money. And it also shows that exchange is a really bad place to hold your Bitcoin. I don't blame them for doing this. They have no other options because they're not going to go to jail to defend your right to withdraw your Bitcoin at any time. Um, and I highly doubt that this hacker, because they asked, the uh, UK courts also asked for them to hand over the KYC information for the user that deposited it. Highly likely if this hacker is has any sort of talent whatsoever, this is just a fake um, identity or account. Likely they bought all this information um, somewhere on the dark web or stole somebody's identity to do this. And they, uh, if they use their own name, then they definitely deserve to be caught. But more than likely, I think they were just trying to deposit it and then withdraw it um, or exchange it into something, like I said, like Monero and then withdraw it immediately. They're not going to put it on their trade. They want to get in and out as soon as possible, which that's why it leads me to believe that there's certain blacklists and insurers, especially these chain analysis firms that are hired by these insurers are going to be doing, you know, once the payment goes out, they're going to be tracking them and they are going to be alerting any exchanges more than likely that, you know, these specific addresses and uh, these uh, specific uh, hashes for the UTXOs are going to be blacklisted. And anytime that this money starts moving around, they're just going to automatically freeze it, um, anything that comes in from any of those addresses. But this also kind of plays into the logic of the BSV community that kind of holds that law is law. Uh, as Craig said, and that really uh, uh, government mandates and uh, regardless of who they're from are writ gold, uh, no pun intended, I guess pun intended. And any of these projects that are marketing themselves as government friendly would not only encourage us for exchanges that hold, say, BSV, but they really are encouraging this sort of behavior from miners themselves to abide by court orders to either reverse transactions or put some sort of digital lien on the holdings by rewriting the blockchain to create a whole new history as though that person um, never had that BSV or whatever project we're talking about in that wallet. Um, this is in itself a very dangerous and a, a large attack vector on BSV or any project that wants to do this. Uh, to force someone to rewrite the chain costs money to produce all of this new history. It costs money uh, to go back, rewrite these blocks um, in, in electricity and wasted time by not actually mining something productively because you're not getting those block rewards. Right. If a court order comes in and says, you know, just in the last 10 minutes, we want you to rewrite the blockchain, uh, reverse this transaction two blocks ago. You're not re-getting those those block rewards again. You're just, you know, but anyways, so this could cost, you know, millions to abide by this. And who's going to pay it? These, you know, if China asks them to do it, if Denmark asks them to do it, they're not going to be paying taxpayer money to do this. The miners are going to have to eat this cost. And anybody who is mining on that chain is going to have to decide whether or not um, they want to um, kind of basically live with this risk. Uh, more than likely, I think that the first time this really starts to happen, anybody who's not um, N-Chain or uh, CoinGeek is going to be not, it's going to be pulling out quite quickly because they are not going to allow themselves to be forced to do this sorts of things. Um, or if they decide to hard fork it, this would destroy confidence in the network's objectivity in the same way that the DAO did to Ethereum. 
Uh, in cringy AF news, uh, the after the tragic death of Kobe Bryant um, and his daughter, among others, in this uh, week's helicopter crash in Calabasas, California, um, Mr. Justin, I can't miss a chance to promote myself, son, decided to tweet out videos and pictures of his Tron bear wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey and dedicated the next Tron convention to his memory. Uh, granted, he was participatory in Tron, I think, last year's conference. Um, they paid him a lot of money to show up and all that kind of good stuff. And this really, though, just shows that Sun and people like him uh, that are hype masters really have no understanding how they are perceived. Uh, they are just so used to using every single menial opportunity to promote themselves that they don't understand how the vast majority of people see how gross this looks. They don't see how gross this looks. And I, I do think he may very well be earnest, like, in that he thinks he's doing a good thing um, or that he's being honest and reflective. Uh, in his intentions, but he can't see past uh, the antics in his past. Um, and now how, you know, everybody else is looking at all these antics, announcements of announcements of announcements and everything, you know, anytime any company has said that they're maybe interested in working on blockchain and he writes them an email and they write back like, oh yeah, we'll get back to you. He's out there announcing an announcement of an announcement to make an announcement that all of these sorts of antics and disingenuousness on his part, um, you know, that that in the context of the way that we see that and then in jumping online and associating himself with the memory before the guy's body is even in the ground, he can't understand how that makes it look really disgusting. And Tron's use case really only seems to be hype. It really only seems to be whatever, you know, Justin can hype. And he's been very good at it. Like props where it's due. He's been very, very good. He would be very good in any startup or any marketing company because he has um, a real finger on the pulse of how to get a bunch of people who don't understand what he's talking about and don't want to actually look um, uh, behind the mask uh, and just go off of, well, this is going to be the next X, right? All these things that he does, really about anything about innovations and in what he's actually promoting. Um, and it's always about him attempting to link brands who already have credibility to his own as a way to basically achieve credibility by osmosis, right? It's everything that he does. It's always big announcements with this bank or whatever that turns out to be absolutely nothing, but it's a tried and true technique. If you can link yourself with credibility, you kind of get leached a bit of credibility onto yourself. But on conversely, this is why a lot of them announce after the fact that they don't want anything to do with him and that this really isn't actually a partnership is because they understand as well that when you allow a little bit of your credibility to leak onto them, if they are not credible, it leaks back onto you. Um, next, let's talk about tax season. So in the U.S. and... Uh, Tax season is, you know, after we hit the new year, tax documents for this year are coming out. And it's yeah, now yet another time for us to pony up um, what we are told we owe. Uh, which I always love that that meme that somebody did of uh, uh, basically talking about how kind of ridiculous that all this is. That um, 
you know, the IRS, you know, it's just a person talking to the IRS saying, oh, hey, how much do I owe? And then the IRS saying, ah, well, you know, we don't know. We need you to calculate that. And then the person says, oh, well, you don't know? Yeah, well, you know, but if we do know, but uh, if you don't provide the right number, then we're going to take everything that we got. And that's very, very true. And a lot of other, what we've seen rolling around uh, last year and into this new year, is a lot of nations are starting to, I believe it was the UK government, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was just advertising a job basically for uh, an individual start working as a, uh, or individuals start working as basically chain analysis on blockchains uh, to start identifying tax evaders within their country. A lot of other countries are doing it. And I understand that, you know, the idea that, uh, that I'm not saying that I disagree that a lot of Bitcoiners have about, you know, it's not anyone's business, right? But if you maintain that position and you aren't paying the taxes on what you owe, it doesn't matter whether you are right or wrong. You're going to get hit at some point and those penalties and interest over years and years and years add up. If from 2011, you, you bought some Bitcoin and then you sold it later in let's say 2017 and you made let's just say you even only made a hundred thousand dollars which would be actually a pretty low number for people who bought a lot in 2011 or really bought anything in 2011 um if they discover that you didn't or let's just say um in 2013 let's just say you sold a hundred thousand dollars worth that you bought so over the next seven years, they don't just go, oh, okay, well, you owed, you know, $15,000 on that. You owe $15,000 plus, you know, seven years at 6% interest that's accrued and compounding over those years, plus the penalty penalties for severe underpayment. So it doesn't really matter whether what we think, you don't do yourself any service and you don't serve your own individual liberty in pursuit for freedom by being locked in a cage. If you just Google the name Erwin Schiff, Peter Schiff's father, um, he took a principled stand saying that he did not believe that income tax was constitutional, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter because he ended up going to prison for the rest of his life. So, you know, I, I would really, really recommend that, you know, take every tax break that you can, you know, take every credit, take every write-off that is legally allowed. But um, from my own personal experience, I am fighting the IRS, I shouldn't say fighting, I'm basically going back and forth um, with them for my 2017 taxes. And this was partially uh, my fault for the most part. I declared, basically, I went through H&R Block um, and I declared my Bitcoin earnings or my, you know, anything that I traded that year. I was a multi-coin at the time. So um, any all the crypto that I had traded that year, I basically put it in the capital gains category that they have for income. Um... And I didn't include, because I didn't know, excuse me, that I was supposed to include a form 8949, which establishes the cost basis, which is basically what did you buy it for? And then what did you sell it for? Um, so without it, when they reviewed the issue 1099Ks, which most exchanges, especially US-based ones, will do this. So Coinbase, Uphold, Gemini, they will all issue you 1099Ks uh, in the previous years. I think they're starting to move to 1099Bs, which makes it a lot easier. Um, but, you know, it looked to them as though I had severely underreported significant gains. So to break this down, 1099Ks, 
that exchanges use report the total volume, not the profit. These are actually the 1099K form is usually used for merchant income, right? So let's just say you use Stripe um, for your business selling ice cream and you do $50,000 in business over a year. You'll get a 1099K showing $50,000 in, in income. It's up to you then through um, your self-employed income or however you have your, let's just say you're self-employed with an LLC, you don't have an S or a C Corp. Uh, you will need to establish, you know, how much uh, your inventory costs you, which cuts down on your, you know, you know what the cost is, or, you know, um, uh, what your tax burden is. So if you had 50000 in income, but it was 40000 in inventory and all these other, you know, costs of doing business, then you made $10,000 profit that year. And that's actually what you owe taxes on. By issuing a 1099K, which I don't understand why they do. It makes the total volume bought and sold of anything crypto related that you bought and sold on that exchange, they list it as profit. So if you bought one Bitcoin at 10,000, 10 seconds later, sold it at 10,000, 10 seconds later, bought another uh, Bitcoin at $10,000. And then that one Bitcoin that you bought at $10,000, this last thing, you sent it to a wallet um, outside of the exchange. Without the 89 form 8949, the IRS sees it as $30,000 in total volume and $30,000 in profit income, etc. When in fact, if you go through that, if it was exactly $10,000 every time, you didn't make a penny um, on that. It was in fact $0 in profit had been made on this. So if you are listening and have no idea what I'm talking about, like you're like, what's a 1099K? What's cost basis? What's a form 8949? Um, and you're in the US or, you know, look up what your local regional laws are, but especially if you're in the US, fix this now. If you fix these things before um, they send you a nasty letter, basically that they found out that you underreported income or think that you did, um, then there's really no penalties and interest. And granted, like I should disclaim it, this is educational only. I'm not a tax attorney. I'm not a CPA. This is just based on my own experience. That because I went back and I did, you know, 2018. I'm working through uh, 2013, 2014. Um, and if if you go and you are proactive about it and you actually do it. From what I understand, I should say, is that there's no penalties and interest on it. If you catch the mistake and you and you um, rectify it, and but after this, like I said, if you you know bought you know hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin in 2011 and sold it for a hundred thousand dollars in 2013, you owe nine hundred ninety nine thousand um, nine hundred dollars in in unreported income. If you fix that. If you pay it, from what I understand, you don't pay any penalties or interest. But if two months from now, three months from now, a year from now, they figure this out that you did, um, didn't do that, they're going to accrue all those years of interest on you. And that is not going to be pretty. Um, so, but I do have to say, in my defense, um, at that time, how you reported all this stuff was like very, very gray. I was talking to friends that were CPAs and and they were like, oh, yeah, just, you know, report it as, as capital gains on like a 1099B type thing, wherever the 1099Bs go in your H&R block. I don't blame them because they didn't know either because it was very obtuse. If you guys were around in 2017, you'll remember this. Or also, 
You may have even done everything correctly, but you'll also have to remember that like-kind exchange is going all the way back. So in 2017, if you had uh, $10,000 worth of Bitcoin and you sold for $10,000 worth of Ethereum and you said, well, that's a like-kind exchange, like real property is, if I exchange my house for your house and we just say that it, you know they're both the same value, then you don't have to pay anything on it. Oh, sorry, I thought one of my kids was here. Um, now that's not. So you actually have to go and report that differently. So I would look into do that. I, it's been a real nightmare actually for me to do that. Um, going back and trying to find all these old, um, you know, reports and stuff. Because I just reported it um, as capital gains all these years. So I've, I've already finished 2018 redoing that uh, as well as for my state. And, um, you know, you don't want to be... You don't want to be in the bad graces or get a letter from the department of making you sad. You really, really don't. It is not fun. And um, it's it's been quite stressful um, because the amount of interest and penalties that they were talking about doing because they just assumed my total volume. Um, and I did a lot in 2017 because I said I fancied myself a trader is a, is a lot. But anyways, if you go to actually supportmypodcast.com, and there you can find all the ways to support my podcast. But if you click on listener supporter discounts, you'll see a thing for Bitcoin tax software, bitcoin.tax. Um, for my listeners, uh, I was able to get a promo code for 10% off. So you can actually use that promo code. It's absolutely free. I don't charge you anything, whatever. It's a little pop-up that has to get it on my email list. All I'm doing with that email list is using that to let you know when I get a new um, sponsor. Or not a new sponsor, but a, a, any new discounts. And um, that's it. So if you go on there, uh, please sign up for the email. It's not required, but I'd ask if you did, you can get that promo code for Bitcoin.tax. Um, and that's 10% off their services. Basically, you will download the Excel files or whatever other files that the, that the exchanges, whether you're Binance or Coinbase, you upload them into Bitcoin.tax. And their software basically produces and lets you know how much um, that you owe and it'll spit out the 8949s. It'll spit out, you know, any kind of forms that you want to, for claiming this kind of stuff on your taxes and submit to the IRS. Um, so head on over to supportmypodcast.com. And last up, we have Mr. Andrew Yang, the so-called crypto candidate. Um, so he told Bloomberg that he wants to fix the federal regs on crypto. Um, to so-called foster innovation. And he was trying to make the case that state-by-state -state regs, because they differ so much from state to state, makes it really difficult and we need uniform regulations. And he's right in, in part, the federal government treatment is, is really not conducive to development since it is another reason why a lot of institutions have been very lukewarm and very slow to do anything on this. Because you have the CF, C, SEC, the CFTC, all of them kind of jockeying to who's going to actually be the Bitcoin people and, you know, their takes on this and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as well, it is difficult because like if you're an exchange and you want to offer services to people in the United States, well, each state's different. So some states, there are still some states, I believe, that you can't go to specific exchanges because they haven't gotten a money or. I believe it's a money service business and MSB license. Um, I'm not, or a money tran transfer business. But anyways, um, it, it does make it difficult for state by state. And another thing is a big issue uh, is on uh, taxes. Uh, 
for you know micro payments basically so say you bought bitcoin at ten thousand dollars and sent five dollars to someone uh, at a later date when bitcoin is worth fifteen thousand dollars that payment is now taxable because you're sending a, a fewer satoshis than what you purchased it for and that's a taxable event and there are bills in the works to make small transactions for legitimate purchases um, tax-free which would really help because one of the really big issues is um, I don't have it with me, but like if I use like a, a card for uphold or for cash app or whatever, and let's say it's Bitcoin and they sell some of the Bitcoin in my wallet that I have linked to that, uh, you know, that's a taxable event every time. And that's part of the headache because you've got to download uh, your, your transactions to see if there's a taxable event. Whereas if you bought a dollar or if you earned five bucks from your work, and, um, you know, a year later, let's say there's a there's a bit of de uh, deflation and the dollar's worth more. That's not a taxable event. So it does it is treated differently. Um, but I personally actually like the state by state federalist model of regs for basically everything, because this means, you know, smaller states like Wyoming, for example, can foster innovation and be rewarded for forward thinking while. States like New York, which require your great-grandmother's second cousin's stool sample and 10,000 hours of paperwork and $14 million to get any license to do anything of value, is punished by their lack of growth. New York has really been hurting. There's not a lot of Bitcoin-related things there ever since they uh, released the Bit license, because um, that was a really crony whole thing. The, the main regulator in the state of New York who did that like directly after they got that all done and the bit license passed and on the books, he um, retired from his job and started a company that strangely enough navigates the extremely difficult process that he created. And don't worry there, there's no conflict of interest there. He was only looking out for the public. Um, but make no mistake though, Andrew Yang is about making uniform regulations so that it can be taxed and controlled. He doesn't care about Bitcoin. He doesn't care about the ethos and the principles of Bitcoin. He is interested in the buzzword as a, as, as, you know, really because his brand is being the, you know, the cutting edge, the tech guy, the math guy. And if I venture to guess, he might understand it. Um, he might understand what Bitcoin is or, you know, the real implications of it. Um, but the way that he talks about it and presents the whole, like, blockchain is really cool block you know never really actually talks about bitcoin it's always blockchain's really cool and blockchain's going to change a lot of things it's really a signal that he either doesn't understand or he's being purposefully opaque and misinformed that being said though his target audience is likely though doesn't understand themselves so there's really no loss for him to be dishonest or uninformed about this um, Andrew, Andrew Yang is really as much of a friend to Bitcoin as the cat is to the mouse. It's something fun to play with until they want to eat it. So that's it for this week's weekly wrap up. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, if you'd go down here into this corner, there's a little red subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, a little bit below, if you're on mobile, click the subscribe, click the bell. That lets you know every time I upload a video. If you're listening, please go to iTunes. 
uh, leave a five-star and a written review. Just look up Did You Know Podcast go, or go to DidYouKnowCrypto.com and click on the Apple iTunes icon. In the, um, and also, I post episodes two times a week. I do this weekly wrap-up. At the end of the week, I release an interview every Monday, sometimes Tuesday, like this week when I had an issue. Um, and um, head over to eToro. Uh, my sponsor for the this is the last week go to did you know crypto.com slash e-t-o-r-o get 50 bucks after a minimum deposit and support my podcast.com to support the podcast in other ways as well as get free listener discounts so thanks again for watching thanks again for listening and have a great night